and Lisa Cranston. And this past week, uh, they actually gave birth to a young lady by the name of Naomi Ann Cranston, and actually during the birthing process, the baby uh, passed away. And so this was something that was expected, uh, but nonetheless, if you're a parent in the room, or even if you're not, I'm sure you can imagine what they've been faced with over the past week or so. And so they wanted me to show a picture, nonetheless, of uh, what sweet Naomi uh, looked like, at least their feet perspective. And so what I would ask this morning is a couple different things. Number one, just be in prayer. Uh, we always announce anytime uh, life comes into the world. And so be in prayer uh, for them because uh, they did carry the child for as long as they could. Um, and so praise God for their obedience and their faithfulness to what the Lord called them to as parents. Uh, but also just be in prayer for their hearts. Uh, if you're not sure who Lisa and Zach are, you may remember Lauren Walters was our kids life director in the past. It's her sister. Okay. And so they're two active members. And so what I want to do this morning before we actually open up God's word is I want to I read to you the obituary that Lisa's mother wrote. It said this, it said, on April 15th, which is last Saturday, as Naomi Ann Cranston arrived in birth, her soul had already been delivered to heaven, uh, into the arms of Jesus. Her mother Lisa and father Zach loved her so much that even when they knew Naomi w- would not live much past birth, they still chose to give her life as long as they could. Amen. Naomi will be missed by not only her parents, but also her grandparents and great-grandparents, as well as aunts, uncles, and cousins. So what I want to do as we start this morning is I want to just go to the Lord and seek Him through prayer and just ask for wisdom and guidance and for us as a church body to wrap our arms around this young couple. I'll give you some instructions on things that maybe you could do if you feel led by the Spirit to support this couple after we pray. But let's go to the Lord uh, in a time of prayer this morning. Father, at times in life, there are times in life that, that things just don't make sense. Uh, we want to ask the reason why, um, but ultimately, we're not the people that are supposed to speculate over this. What we have to do in difficult times in life, whether it's this situation or situations that we're faced with in our personal life, is we have to cling to what we do know is true. And what we know is that you are still good. What we know is that you still want to take every situation, no matter how hard or difficult it is, and you promise to not necessarily make it good, because I don't know if there's anything that could make this good, but you promise to work all things together for good. And so, Father, I pray that uh, as Lisa and Zach are in the midst of the grieving process as they're recovering from this situation that they've been faced with, Father, I pray that they would, as we're going to talk about this morning, experience a peace in their life that maybe they never have before. And that peace wouldn't come from their circumstance. That peace wouldn't come from uh, other people. The peace would come from the Prince of Peace, and that's you and your son. And so, Father, we ask that you bring that into this family. We ask that us as a church body love and support them in any way that we know how. Maybe it's through writing a card. Maybe it's through providing a meal. Maybe it's just simply praying for this sweet young couple. But we pray that we do a really good job as a congregation to keep them on the forefront of our minds. And so we pray for the hearts of Zach and Lisa. We also pray for the rest of the family, the grandparents on both sides. We pray for the, the, the siblings. We pray for the cousins, the aunts, and the uncles. We pray for all these individuals who are going through this process with them. Uh, Father, give them what they need when they need it to minister to Zach and Lisa in the best way possible. And also, Lord, minister to their hearts because losing a grandchild can be very difficult as well. And so, Father, I just pray over this entire situation. I pray that you do a supernatural work, a work that we can't explain in this world, but, Father, that you can do only through your supernatural love and grace. And so, Father, that's what we pray toward this morning. 
And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, let's dive into our text for today. If you have your Bibles, I hope you do. Go ahead and open with me to uh, Colossians chapter 3. We're going to be considering verses 12 through uh, 17 today. And as you're turning there, what I want to point out is what Paul is going to say in the first three words of the text today. First three words he's going to say are put on then. And when Paul says put on then, you've got to understand that in order to put something on, you first have to take something off, correct? I mean, think about it. If you, how many of you guys, show of hands, how many of you guys work out? You go to the gym fairly regularly, maybe every so often. Maybe just do it, you know, in January when we make a New Year's Eve commitment. Uh, but you work out, right? And think about this. If you were to go to the gym and you were to work out, maybe you work out in the morning. If you were to go out to work out before uh, work started, and then instead of taking off those nasty gym clothes, you just decided after you had done your cardio on the, on the uh, bicycle, after you had maxed out on the bench press and done whatever it is you do in the gym, and you're sweaty and nasty, instead of going to the locker room and showering and changes, you just leave those clothes on and you put your, uh, your, your uh, work attire on and go to work. Now let me ask you, how's your office mate going to like the smell that's coming from you in about three hours? They're not going to like it, are they? They're probably going to, at least if you work next to me, I'd say, bro, you need to go home and take a shower because you stink, man. That's what they would say. And the reality is, that's the truth that we're going to get at here. In order for us to be able to put on what Paul is going to talk about in our text before us today in verses 12 to 17, some of us in the room, and really all of us in the room, what we got to first do is we got to take off some of the old things. Paul's going to say, put off the old self. And in verses 1 through 12, Specifically, I think it's around verse 5. He's going to start to list for you. You can see it in your text. He's going to list for you a bunch of different things that we got to put off first. And then after we put those things off, then we can turn around and put on what he says is the new self. Now, in our text, like I said, Paul's going to give us a list of characteristics to put on for Jesus Christ. But before he does that, he actually is going to uh, give us a few words to tell us about who we are in Christ. And so he says this right at the beginning of verse 12. He says, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. Now, when we get into our Bible study, we get into the reading of the text, it's really easy for us to see that underlined portion that I have on the screens there and to just breathe through that and to get to the little attributes that he's going to list in just a minute. But let me tell you, I love these few words in verse 12, and here's why. You have to know, church, who you are in Christ before you can actually know what we're supposed to do. And that's what Paul's going to do at the very beginning right here in verse 12. He's going to establish for us who we actually are in Christ. And so let's not breeze over this. Let's kind of dial into that for just a moment. First of all, he's going to say that if you are in Christ's church, then you are God's chosen ones. In other words, God picked you. God picked you. Church, rest in that this morning. This is the picture that the creator, the, the creator of the entire universe, God Almighty, he has actually called you by name. Is that not beautiful this morning? He has called you. And that means that there has never been a time when you were not loved by God. God chose you before the foundation of the world. And because you have been chosen, that makes you the next two. That makes you holy and that makes you beloved. And when I say holy and beloved, that doesn't necessarily mean that you're perfect. We know that we all mess up. I'm the first to admit that I mess up all the time. And so we know that we're not holy in the sense that God is holy. We're not holy in the sense that we are perfect. But what holy, what Paul's getting at here is he's saying you are set apart for him. You are set apart for God. And when he says beloved, he's saying you are dearly loved. In other words, God looks at you and he says this, you're on my team. 
He says, that one belongs to me. Church, this is a picture at the beginning of the text today of absolute and total grace. God has chosen you. He has set you apart for himself, and you are dearly loved. You are beloved by God. Now, we could spend a whole lot more time of really dialing in and diving into all of those pieces, but we're going to move on past that. And as Robert said, that's one of the important parts of why you need to be in a life group, because when you get in a life group, you can really unpack this in an even deeper fashion. But once we realize, once we understand kind of where we're at, how we're viewed by God when we are in Christ, you are viewed as chosen, you're viewed as holy, you're viewed as beloved. Once you understand that, then we can move on and see all of these things that we are supposed to put on. And so check it out, starting in verse 12 again. It says, put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, put on, and it gives us a list. He's going to say, put on compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, we are to forgive each other. Point number one this morning is this. The love of Christ should transform our character. The love of Christ should transform our, careful, our character. Now, I've got to be honest. I'll come back to this in a minute, but I've got to be honest. When I look at a list like this, and I see compassion and kindness and humility and meekness and patience and bearing with one another forgiveness, I think, uh-oh, <laughs> it's not good, right? And the reason it's not good is I start looking at my life and thinking, I'm falling really short when I look at this list right here. I've got a lot of work to do. And let's just put me under the radar for a second. Think about my life for a second. Let's say you go to lunch today, and while you're sitting at lunch, I don't know where you got to like to eat, but let's say you go right down the street here to Outback, and the waitress comes up to you. I got some heads. People like Outback, man. Get you a steak. But anyway, let's say you go to Outback, and you sit down, you order yourself a steak, and the waitress says, hey, how was your day? You say, well, I went to church. And the waitress says, oh, really? What church do you go to? Fellowship Community Church? Well, tell me about your pastor. How many of you guys right now would look at that person and use any of those words to describe my life? I don't know, man. I mean, let's be honest. Would you sit there and be saying, well, man, Pastor Allen, he's just so filled with compassion. Like, he's just so kind and he's meek, man. That's what I'd use. He's a meek individual, right? And he's so patient, like everything in life, he's just so patient. It's not true. If you know me well, listen, then you know that these are all a work in progress in my life. And here's the worst part. This is the sanctified version of myself. Like, think about that. I would, we were at the Easter egg hunt the other day, and Jared Saunders, he's one of our, uh, uh, one of our leadership team members' spouse, he looked at me. I had, like, a jacket on because I was trying to stay warm and a hat. I said, man, you look like a gangster out here. And I think that's what I would be if I didn't have Christ. I'd just be a literal gangster walking around Roanoke. But thanks be to God for the thanks if I version myself. But here it is. We asked, we put me under the microscope, but here, do this. Put yourself under the microscope. Right? Ask yourself that question this morning. Like, how about you? How are these characteristics being played out in your life? Would people look at you and use these characteristics on the screen right now to describe you? Well, let's unpack them. Let's take just a minute. Let's, let's do this. Let's self-evaluate ourselves for a second. Let's walk through each one of these characteristics. It's not going to take long, but each one of these characteristics and ask ourselves where we stand, starting with compassionate hearts. Do you show compassion to other people? Do others describe your heart as a heart that loves people, watch this, the way that God loves people? In other words, do the things that break the heart of God, do they break your heart too? Second question, how's kindness going in your life? In other words, are you kind toward other people? Now, when you think about these first two, when you think about compassionate hearts carrying right into kindness, they kind of follow and work together. Let me show you what I mean. 
A compassionate heart sees someone that doesn't know Jesus, and inside their heart, it's stirred. It's like, man, I hate the fact that they don't know Jesus. But then what kindness does is it comes behind them, and it does something about it. In other words, a compassionate heart says, it breaks my heart to know that people in the Roanoke Valley don't know and believe in the name of Jesus Christ. But then what kindness does is kindness comes behind that heart and says, I'm going to do everything in my power to make sure everyone knows who Jesus is. So the question you have to ask yourself is, how's my compassion going? How's my kindness going? Next question, humility. What about humility? And remember, humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's just thinking of yourself less. That's what it is. And so the question is, are you selfless in your relationships with others? Are you looking out for the good of other people more than you're looking out for the good of yourself? Then the next one, we go to meek. Are you a meek person? Now, I'll be honest. When I first became a follower of Jesus, if you were to look at me and say, Alan, I really think you're meek. I'd say, bro, I am not meek, right? And I think a lot of the guys in the room would feel the same way. Like, show of hands, guys, how many of you would want to be described as meek? It just doesn't sound really tough and manly, does it? And I think the reason we don't like the word meek is because it rhymes with weak, doesn't it? It's kind of like the same. So we associate meekness with weakness, but that's not what it is at all. Meekness, in fact, is an awesome characteristic. It's essentially strength that's under control. You see, Jesus was a meek person. And meekness is this. It's having the right or the power to do something, but then choosing not to do it. And many times you choose not to do it in order to benefit somebody else. And so the question is, do you demonstrate that in your life? Do you demonstrate a strength that is essentially under control? Next one, patience. Are you a patient person? And I'll be honest with you, when I came to this one this week, whoo boy. I mean, this one really zinged me a little bit. I came to patience, and I started thinking, I struggle with this one all the time. Just ask my wife. She'll tell you how patient I am. I don't know about you, but if you get in traffic, and if I'm driving down the road, and I'm behind you on I-81 or 581, wherever you guys drive, and you go the speed limit, we got issues, man. I mean, we just do. Because what happens is you get sidetracked, you see something, all of a sudden you dip below it. It's like, come on, man, blinkers on. I'll tell you what else gets me. We'll be sitting at a stoplight. And all of a sudden, you're like eight, nine, ten cars deep, and you can see the light where you're at, and you know that if the first couple people aren't paying attention, you're not going to make it. And so when that stoplight goes from red to green, and that person just kind of sits there, you're like, bro, I know you're on the phone. Put that thing down. We got to go. And they got about three seconds till they get a big old, ah, you know what I'm talking about. Parents, three in the morning, you're up with your kids. I don't know if you've been there, but I certainly have. Let me tell you how patient I am with Hadley and Jillian at 3 a.m. when they're crying and trying, sleeping. It's brutal, right? I was sitting, I'll start meddling in a minute, but I was sitting literally at a restaurant the other day. I'm not going to tell you where because I don't want to hurt their business. But the food, I had received my water. We had placed the order. We sat there for about a half hour, half hour. We sat there for a half hour. To the point where I ended up having to get my food to go. But we sat there for a half hour. I looked at my wife. I said, so what are you going to do if I just go up, get up right now and go into the back and walk into the kitchen and find out where our food is? She said, I'm going to go sit in the car and wait. And you go ahead and get it to go and bring it out. Right? But that's it. I mean, I struggle. And that's funny. But I struggle. The, real, the reality is I struggle with the idea of patience. But as I thought about the word patient this week, I asked myself, why should I be patient in life? Like, why should I be patient with other people? In fact, when you look at these characteristics, you think about a compassionate heart, kindness. You think about all these things. Why do we do these things? Why do we strive for this? Well, let me ask you this. 
how patient has God been with you? How patient has he been with you? How much compassion has the Lord shed into your life? How much humility has God demonstrated through his son, Jesus Christ? Church, that's why we should desire these characteristics in our life, not to be patient people just for patience' sake, but because God has been patient with us. Because we're not simply inherently compassionate, but God has shown compassion to us. And so the question is, how are these characteristics, these first five in verse 12, how are they doing in your life? Because that, these are the same qualities, the same characteristics that Christ has demonstrated and shown to every single one of us. Next question, we move on. We get to forgiveness. So are you a forgiving person? In verse 13, Paul is actually going to say that we're supposed to bear with one another. That's hard. In other words, as believers, we are a family, aren't we? This is the family of God. And as members of the family of God, we are called to put up. That's what bear with means. we got to put up with one another. Even if we, look what it says, even if we have a complaint against another, which is hard to do. Show of hands. How many people have ever had a complaint against another believer? Anybody in the room? Just me? Okay, yeah, so we do. It, 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 it just absolutely happens. But listen, here's what Paul's telling us in verse 13. He says, instead of demanding perfection in other people, what he's saying is we've got to bear with one another. We've got to learn to forgive one another and to put up with each other's quirks and, honest, and oddities. That's what families do. Listen, I'm a weird person. I just am. There's oddities about me, and you guys are stuck with me, so you've got to put up with that. But follow this, when we, brothers and sisters, when we fail in life, when we don't do things that are up to par, which all of us will, I will do things sometimes that will disappoint you, right? But when we fail, we need to be ready to forgive and help one another heal, not look for ways that we can condemn our family members. That's what we're called to do. And taking it a step further, this idea of forgiveness, honestly, it should come natural to us. It shouldn't be something that we have to work super hard on. Do you know why? Because once again, just ask yourself the question, just how much has God forgiven you? Right? How much has God forgiven you? You see, those who have a relationship with Jesus, we've been forgiven of our sin. And as a result, we are now called to forgive other people. That's why he ends verse 13 by saying, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. So also, church, you must forgive. You see, I'm not very complicated in key points, but this is really simple to follow right here. Forgiven people, they forgive people. That's what we do. Forgiven people forgive people. Let me make a bold statement this morning. Maybe if you're unable to distribute forgiveness to others, then you haven't received forgiveness yourself. Maybe you haven't truly tasted and seen that the Lord is good. Listen, maybe the reason you can't distribute forgiveness to one person for one sin for right now is because you haven't experienced forgiveness for all of your sin for all time. And so the question that we have to ask ourselves this morning is, am I able to forgive other people? Is there any root of unforgiveness in my life right now? Examine your heart right now. Is there any root of unforgiveness? Is there someone right now, church, that you are still holding that grudge against? And the question is, what's it going to take for you to offer them true forgiveness as Jesus has forgiven you? Now, Paul, what he's going to do is he's going to sum up all of these verses by saying that all of the characteristics revolve around love. 
That's what he's going to get at in verse 14. He says, and above all these things, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Listen, if you try to do all of these things or you try to do all these characteristics without love, then in the long run, you're going to run into a dead end. It's just not going to work to the best of its possible ability. And so instead of trying to force all of these things to happen, what we have to do is we've got to actually put on love because love is the foundation of all of them, right? Love is what's going to bind everything together. You see, love is what gives us that perfect harmony. It's what creates this beautiful unity that we have within the body of Christ. And so point number one, coming back to it, the love of Christ is actually what transforms our character. So that's point number one. Here's point number two. The peace of Christ needs to be or needs to rule in our hearts. The peace of Christ actually needs to rule in our hearts. Look at verse 15. It says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. You know, in our world, a lot of people, they are looking for peace in all the wrong places. But church, peace is not found in our circumstances. Instead, peace is only found, as we prayed through this morning at the beginning, it's found in the person of Jesus Christ. You see, he is the Prince of Peace. And to know Jesus is to actually know peace. And as I was reading it this week, I was reminded of what Paul wrote in a different letter, Philippians chapter 4. Come with me, Philippians chapter 4. At the very beginning, Paul's actually going to say this. He's going to say, do not be anxious about anything. Now, when we read that, we think, well, Paul, how in the world is that possible? Like, how am I supposed to just not be anxious? Show of hands, how many people have ever not, or excuse me, how many people have been anxious even just this week? You've had some stress this week. Yeah, we've all experienced that. It's just something that's part of our lives. And thinking about that, those of you that have been stressed, which all of, we, all of us have, have you ever just tried to unstress yourself? You know what I'm talking about? Like, you just try to talk yourself out of being anxious? You're like, just stop it, just stop it, right? You just can't, it's hard to do it. It's hard to just unstress or unanxious yourself. And so the question is like, what do we do? Well, my wife, she actually experienced some stress and anxiety. Maybe you can relate to this as a parent, but anytime our girls experience an illness, it causes her some anxiety because we're just sometimes not certain of what that looks like. And so when the runny noses come, sometimes the, the um, vomit comes, when things like that come, it starts to stress her out. And what I do is I just look at her and say, honey, quit stressing. how well that goes, right? <laughs> Any other husbands like that? I'm like, what is wrong? She's going to be fine. Like, that's what I tell her. And my words, listen, they don't work. They just don't. And, and a lot of times, they just make them worse. She's like, I just can't, right? And then we just start bickering, and it just is what it is. But, and so what does she do? Like, what does she do when she gets stressed out? What does she do? Well, she does what Philippians tells us to do. She does what it tells us to do in the next part. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, what? By prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, she goes and she makes her requests known to God. See, she takes those stresses, she takes those worries and those anxieties, and she puts them at the Lord's feet. And when she does that, look at the result, verse 7. And the peace of God, which we can't understand how it works because it surpasses all understanding. The peace of God enters into her mind. We can't explain it, but we surely can't deny it because it's there. The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, begins to guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. See, Jesus, church, he is, once again, he is the Prince of Peace. 
And when you take your stresses and your anxieties and whatever they may be that you're battling right now, and when you take them and put them at Jesus' feet on a regular basis, he's able to bring this supernatural peace into your life. And so point number two is the peace of Christ needs to rule in our hearts, but that leads us right into point number three. And that's that the word of Christ should be evidenced in our lives. The word of Christ should be evidenced in our lives. Look at verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. Now, let's pause right there for a second. Here it is. Followers of Jesus, they love the scriptures. They do. They love the scriptures. I do not know a person who is walking closely with the Lord that does not love the Bible. They don't. They, they just go together. You see, Jesus' disciples, they love his word. But we do. We love God's word. And that's why here at FCC, we have that vision, that slogan, that phrase of Jesus every day. You've heard it before, right? Jesus every day. We need to be digging into the scriptures every day. And it's more than, let's follow me here. It's more than just reading a passage of scripture and then forgetting about it two hours later. It's not what we're talking about here. When we talk about digging in the scriptures and reading the scriptures, we're talking about meditating on the word of God. It's the idea of not just reading it, but also memorizing it, memorizing verses, memorizing passages, memorizing paragraphs and chapters and whole books of the Bible. Now, that sounds crazy, but when you do that, it really speaks and moves in your life. I remember back when I was uh, leading the student ministry here at, at the Southwest Campus, uh, my mother-in-law, her name's Linda Henschel, she's one of our life group leaders here, she actually came to Epic several different times throughout a series. I took our students through a series on the Sermon on the Mount. And so if you're not familiar with that, it's a, basically the longest sermon of Jesus where he basically preaches for three straight chapters in the book of Matthew. And so it's Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And so I took our kids through that entire uh, passage over a course of several weeks. And every single week, I brought my mother-in-law in to do this. She had memorized the entire Sermon on the Mount. And so at the beginning of chapter 5, she came and stood on the stage, and she just spoke Matthew chapter 5 in its completion in front of all of our students. Let me tell you the impact that made on our kids' lives. We got to chapter 6, same thing. Chapter 7, same thing. And it wasn't like she was trying to remember it. She just knew it, and it just flowed off of her tongue. It was a beautiful thing. You see, that's what the Word of Christ is supposed to do. It's supposed to just flow right out of us, right? It should affect the way that we live. Listen. Here's the picture that Paul's trying to paint in verse 16. He's saying when the word of Christ is dwelling in us, when we are saturated with the word of God, it's going to naturally flow out of us. That's how it works. And that's what Paul's getting at as he closes this verse. He says, let the word of Christ dwell richly, or dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness, in our hearts to God. Now, as you think about this verse, let me ask you a question. What do we do as a church every single Sunday when we come together? What are the two common things you see every single Sunday? Verse 16. What do we do every single Sunday you come here, I promise you we are going to teach from this stage. Somebody is going to be preaching from the word of God. We're going to teach and admonish you from the word of God. But secondly, we are always going to do this. We're going to sing psalms, we're going to sing hymns, and we're going to sing spiritual songs with thankfulness in our hearts to God. This is what we do here at FCC. And listen, that doesn't mean that we're all going to worship the same way. Listen, I've watched some of you guys worship. 
Y'all don't do it the same. I've looked at you. I've seen it, right? Some of y'all, you're going to window wash, right? You're going to just roll. Others of you, you're going to be a picture of the cross during it. You're just, hallelujah, Lord. Others of you, you're going to raise it higher and higher and higher as we go, right? It's just what you do. Some of you, you just like to stand there and just do your thing. You're just like, hallelujah for the cross, right? And so, but here it is. It doesn't matter. He doesn't say how we're supposed to worship in this particular text, right? We see other places in Scripture where it will say, lift our hands. But what Paul is getting at here, I want you to see what it says. Is he's saying it doesn't matter how you do it, but the key is, write the key down, the key is that you have a genuine gratitude to God for who he is and what he has done. That is the purpose of your worship. You are lifting up your voices in thanksgiving, as it says, for who Jesus is and what he has done. Church, in the same way, I don't know a person who is a follower of Jesus, closely walking with him, who doesn't love the word of God. In the same way, I don't know a person who has experienced the genuine grace and forgiveness of God and is not passionate about wanting to worship him. You've tasted and seen who the Lord is. You can't help but want to worship him. It just naturally flows out of you. And then verse 17, it says, And whatever you do, whether it's in word, whether it's in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Now, the picture here as we wrap up our text for today is that because we are united with Christ, because we died with him, because we are raised with him, his name is now on us, essentially. We belong to him, and his reputation is now shown in us, and it's shown through us. And the picture here is that whatever it is that you do, you represent Christ. Everything you do, you represent Christ. Church, we've got to understand really what's at stake right here. We carry the name of Jesus, look at this, everywhere we go. Everywhere. In other words, the worship service that we're in right now, it does not stop when the last song finishes. It doesn't stop when you are dismissed. Like when I say, think about it at the end of the service. What do I say at the, almost the end of every service? I say, go and be the hands and feet of Jesus. Every single week. What does that mean? What am I getting at when I say that? I'm getting at this verse. I'm saying, go wherever it is that you go in word and deed and do everything for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I've heard it well said that the holiest part of a worship service is when the people go out. When the people go out. It's when we go and be his hands and feet every single week. Church, don't make this service just a thing that you attend. That's what I want you to hear. Don't make this just something that you attend, something that's on your calendar. Instead, here's how you should view this service. View this service as fuel for you in your relationship with Jesus so that when you go to work, when you go to school, when you go to ball games or wherever it is you go, you would do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. That's the goal. Now, friends, we aren't meant to do this. We're not meant to categorize parts of our life as being spiritual and parts of our lives as being secular. Instead, everything we do is meant to honor him. Which means, follow me here, the way that we go to work on Monday through Friday, that should bring Jesus just as much honor and praise as the way that we sing worship songs on Sunday morning. That's what that means. Everywhere you go, in word or deed, you are doing it to honor the name of Jesus. Now, as we close this morning, I want to give you a, a really easy way to apply this. Because if you look at this list, like I said, we've walked through a lot of characteristics in a short amount of time, and it can seem overwhelming, right? Now, be honest. When you go to apply this, 
it can be really easy to get caught in a trap. And I know this firsthand because this week when I was studying, I found myself caught in the trap, all right? And so I want to kind of tell you the trap so you don't fall into it this week. You see, when I was studying this week and looking at these verses, like I said, I came to them and I was like, "Uh uh-oh, what in the world? I'm falling short in a lot of areas. And so here's what I started to do. I started to write down all the different things that I needed to do or all the different things that I needed to accomplish in order to improve myself in these different areas. And so I was writing down, okay, how do I become more compassionate? How do I forgive people better? How do I become more patient? What are some things to do? And I'll tell you, if you pray for patience, go ahead and count on your kids going nuts this afternoon, okay? Don't pray for patience, right? It's just a warning to you, okay? But as I was doing this, I was like, like making my mental list, making my list, whatever. I paused because what I realized was this isn't right. I'm doing something wrong. Come close. Here's what I realized. I realized I was trying to manufacture fruit in my life. That's what I realized. When I say fruit, don't think like apples, bananas, and whatever you guys like to eat. When I say fruit, I'm talking about the fruits of the Spirit, right? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That's what we're talking about here. And so I was trying to manufacture these characteristics, the ones that I just mentioned, and the ones we talked through this morning. I was trying to manufacture or make those in my life, but I realized that's not how this works. You see... You can't manufacture fruit, can you? How do you produce fruit? Because fruit has to be grown, doesn't it? That's how fruit in real life works. Fruit has to be grown. And you know how we grow fruit in the Christian life? In other words, do you know how we grow in all of these characteristics? Do you know how we grow in compassion and kindness and humility and meekness? How do we grow in that? Well, look at what Jesus says. He tells us very, very clearly. It's John chapter 15, verse 4. He says, abide in me, and I in you. Think about that. Abide in me. Write that down. That's how you grow fruit. You abide in me. As a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Now, what abide means, if you look at the NIV, it says remain in me. And so what Jesus is saying here is this. If you remain in me, in other words, if you get really, really close to me, then here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to remain in you. Right? I'm going to get close to you. He's saying if you abide in me, then you'll be able to produce fruit in your life through the power of the Spirit working in your life. Isn't that beautiful? It's beautiful. And practically speaking, this looks like what we talked about earlier. It looks like reading and meditating and memorizing God's word. It looks like having an active and and abundant prayer life. It looks like being plugged into the local church. And so listen really carefully this morning as we wrap up. If you want to live the Christian life that Jesus has designed you to live, then stop focusing on the fruit. Stop focusing on trying to be more compassionate. Focus on the root. Focus on Jesus. Listen, if you want to be more compassionate, quit trying to be more compassionate. Just love Jesus more. Right? If you want to be more patient, then quit trying to be patient and abide in Christ. If you want to forgive people, then focus on the forgiveness that you've experienced through Jesus Christ. Bottom line, coming back to verse 14, if you want to put on love in a greater capacity and love people more, then do this. Love Jesus more every single day. And when you do that, just watch him go to work in your life. These fruits, these characteristics will come naturally because you're becoming more like him. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, Lord, we thank you.
Lord, we thank you for the text that you put before us today. Father, I thank you just going back to verse 12 for a minute for how you view me. Father, if you look in the New Testament, those three words, chosen, holy, and beloved, those same three words are used to define Jesus Christ. And yet now, you look at us in the exact same fashion. You see me as chosen. You've set me apart for yourself. You dearly love me. And so for this morning, I just thank you for that. Father, I thank you for the Apostle Paul and how he so boldly wrote letters that we can read 2,000 years ago. And through reading them, we can become more like you. And so, Father, this morning, my prayer is this. Many of us this morning, they fall in the same trap that I fall into. We find ourselves not being patient or not being kind or not forgiving someone or not loving someone. And we try everything in our power. We focus on the fruit. We just try to do these things in our own power. Father, help us realize this morning that if we want to have these characteristics, these fruits of the Spirit, if you will, in our lives, we've got to abide in you. Father, fruit is grown when we're attached to you. And so help us remain in you so that you can produce that fruit in our life. And so this morning, church, if you've been trying so hard to do this thing called the Christian life and make it look really good on your own, I want to just pause for a second and give you an opportunity to call out to him. Say, Lord, I just want to stop trying to do this thing on my own. I just want to love you more. I want to abide in you. Father, I also pray for those right now who maybe don't have a relationship with you. Lord, it's really tough to have these characteristics in life apart from you. And so, Father, maybe some of us in here, we haven't been able to forgive people because we haven't experienced true forgiveness from you. And so I pray right now that if there is an individual amongst our mi- or in our midst this morning that's never tasted and seen who you are, that today they would go from darkness to light. And so right now, if that's you, just call out to him. Say, Father, I want to be forgiven of my sins. I want to know how to love you more. I want to trust you as my Lord and Savior. So, Father, we love you. Father, help us do just what this text is showing us this morning. Help us to abide in you and that every single place that we go, wherever it is, in word or in deed, we would do everything for the name of Lord Jesus Christ. And it's his, in his strong and powerful name that we pray. Amen. Well, church, as we wrap up this morning, we're going to sing one more song, and I want us to do that. We just got taught. We just got admonished through, through the Word of God. But now it's our turn to do exactly what we saw in verse 16 this morning. It's our turn to stand. It's our turn to worship through psalm, hymn, and spiritual song. And so let's just do that. Let's stand, and let's lift our voices to the Lord Jesus as we sing one last song. How I long to breathe the air of heaven where pain is gone and mercy filled. 
the hero 